And uh, happy ski week. It's the end of ski week. Uh, hope you had good time skiing. I was telling folks last week, I, I mentioned this a little bit, I come from Oklahoma originally, and we did not get a ski week. We did get a week off for hunting deer. <laughs> so if you needed another reminder of the cultural differences, there's one right there. Uh, as Laura mentioned, I do want to encourage you before you leave at these tables, we put together these Lenten prayers and uh, they, I, I didn't mention this last week, but they go together with our series each week where we're talking about one of the parting words of Jesus on the cross each week. Our Lenten prayer guide is leading in those parting words. So uh, please pick one of those up. As I mentioned also last week, I've got this magical gift as a pastor. I know whether or not you pick these kind of things up. God speaks to me in this kind of way. Uh, I want to start our time in a weird way by looking at the parting words of two different philosophers. We're looking at the parting words of Jesus but I want to start by looking at some other parting words. And maybe you're saying, I didn't come here to hear about a philosophy lesson. I came here to hear about Jesus. Just chill out a second. Go along. Enjoy the ride. Uh, so last year, I did a lot of study on our Western culture, specifically how we've gotten here to a place of what many would call a secular age. And the rea reality is, you may not think we live in a secular age, but if a person from the ancient world were to visit us and follow one of us today, even a Christian, they would probably be shocked at our lack of focus or priority on things like spirits or demons or thoughts of the divine, and our priority on things like data and facts and computers and practical everyday realities. Uh, because in those days, it would have been nearly, like nearly impossible to have even find an atheist around. Uh, regardless of your religion, most people assume the world was God-bathed, that it was soaked in a spiritual reality. But over many years, brilliant thinkers helped to change this reality. And one of the most important in the past few hundred years is a man named Friedrich Nietzsche. And his influence is pervasive in our culture, whether we know it or not. Uh, not long after Darwin came up with this theory of evolution, Nietzsche, uh, emerging from these uh, discoveries of Darwin, proclaimed his most famous quote. He proclaimed, God is dead. He envisioned a world stripped bare of inherent meaning, driven solely by a relentless pursuit of genetic survival. Morality, in his eyes... Uh, was a mere social construct, a tool employed by the weak to restrain the powerful. And in this worldview fueled his hatred for Christianity, which he perceived as a manipulative system designed by the meek to subjugate the strong. And now, tragically, you might know this, this natural order of, uh, of the strong devouring the weak was eventually used in sort of a twisted justification for Hitler's ideology and the horrific consequences. Now, undeniably, Nietzsche not only had an amazing mustache, but he was a brilliant person. But his brilliance was shadowed by a profound unhappiness. His bleak outlook of life uh, permeated his entire being. In his 30s, he had this devastating psychotic break, uh, shattered him, it confined him to a silent, fearful existence in his sister's care. 
And on his deathbed, this brilliant man, he had followers all around, but he only had his mother at his side. And he muttered his last parting words, covered in despair, and he simply said, Mother, I am dumb. These were the parting words of Nietzsche. I want to look at another man, another philosopher, uh, Dallas Willard. Uh, Willard was a professor at USC who dedicated his life to exploring spiritual formation. And his brilliance was not merely intellectual, but it was intertwined with his character. Uh, One of my former mentors was a disciple of Willard's, and he described him as being one of the most brilliant people he'd ever met, but his life was even more beautiful. Uh, He would talk about this peace and calm that one would experience just by being in Dallas's presence. Later in life, Dallas was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And even amidst this excruciating pain, Dallas made a remarkable choice. He refused pain medication. He was opting for full awareness for his transition to heaven. And this choice stemmed from this philosophical belief he would write about sometimes that for a Christian, the mind might seamlessly continue from this life to the next, entering the presence of God. He theorized it might take a Christian even a while to realize they had passed away because they just would seamlessly go on. And so towards the end, he invited some close friends to record his experience as he narrated And as death neared, he spoke of feeling simultaneously present in his bed, but also on the threshold of another realm, like he was in two places at once. And then he said this, he said, I see heaven open, and there's more love coming towards me than I ever thought possible. And finally, his eyes ignited as if witnessing something extraordinary. And with his last words, he simply said, thank you. Two men, two ways of seeing God, two parting words, I'm dumb and thank you. The question this morning is simply, how do you see Jesus? And I'm guessing that most of us, since we're in church, Nietzsche is probably an exaggerated extreme, but how many of us see Jesus in theory but don't actually believe he is who he says he is when it comes to our lives. Maybe this morning, if you would, if you would just spend a moment, just ask yourself, how do you see Jesus? You don't have to tell anybody. It just can be inside. Be honest. Is Jesus more of an icon, simply part of a religion you've been a part of for a long time? Is Jesus more of a historical figure, fascinating to study and learn from? Maybe if you're honest, maybe you wouldn't tell anybody, but you see Jesus as distant, unavailable. Maybe you see Jesus as a once powerful entity who can't actually work or act in our present day. Today we're going to look at two ways of seeing Jesus one is based on the physical, external realities, but another one goes, goes deeper. So, as Jesus is on the cross, we see two men, two ways of seeing Jesus. So, we're going to turn to Luke 23. You can look at the screens, or if you have your Bible, you can turn with us. Luke 23, verse 35. And the people stood by watching. 
But the leader scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. And then one of the criminals who was hanging there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. So we have one man next to Jesus who sees Jesus in a certain way. Like the soldiers, he comes with mocking and scoffing. The way he sees Jesus is filtered through his physical reality and his circumstances. He just sees what's in front of him. Get us off these crosses. If you are powerful, why are you not taking action? What kind of king dies a death like this? We even see an example of what we still do today, almost like bargaining with God. Do you ever bargain with God? I did this as a kid uh, living in Oklahoma when I wanted to miss a test. I would just say, if you're really God, you'd bring a tornado down on my junior high. (laughs) And then I'll believe you and I'll follow you forever. Uh, Maybe some of you did this a few weeks ago. If the 49ers win, I'll do whatever you want. This way of seeing Jesus is based on circumstances and external realities. And this is where we often find ourselves in our culture, our secular age, viewing our reality only through proof, through data, through science, through facts, making it hard to see what else is going on beyond the physical, an invisible reality and kingdom that's all around us. I was one man next to Jesus, but then there was another man as we continue. The other man rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed have been, under, uh, have been condemned justly, we're, we're getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So the second man sees Jesus differently. Exact same circumstances, physical reality, but he sees beyond these circumstances. He doesn't see an ineffectual king unable to rescue himself. He doesn't ask to be saved from his physical reality getting off the cross. In this moment, his eyes are opened, and he realizes this king's kingdom is not just physical. It's an invisible, eternal kingdom. He stops caring about being saved from his fate on the cross, and he realizes he just wants to be saved in a deeper, fuller way. And so Jesus says, yes, I will act on your behalf, and you will be with me in paradise. It's a moment of salvation. So let's talk about salvation for a bit, shall we? Uh, Salvation is one of those church words that carries a lot of baggage with it. Depending on your upbringing or church experience, something probably instantly pops into your mind when you hear the word. Uh, Maybe you think of John 3.16 signs at games. Maybe you think of sweaty preachers counting hands. I see that hand. I see that hand. Uh, Maybe you think of door-to-door evangelism. Lots of things. To help our our discussion, I want to introduce a concept I've been using uh, for a couple of years. It's helped me think about salvation. 
And I simply just think of it as the spectrum of salvation. On one side of the spectrum is what we could say is present focused. Present focused. Uh, years ago, I was sitting in an independent boutique coffee shop uh, in, in Chicago called Barnes & Noble. And I was with a group of students. And one of these students was a follower of Jesus, but he had stopped coming to church. And he said this. He said, all the church talks about is being saved and getting into heaven. And if, you all, if you're already saved, the whole point is to get others into heaven. And I'm just not interested in waiting for heaven one day. I want to bring heaven to earth here and now. And I saw a lot of nodding of heads. And it was extremely relatable to me because I grew up in a tradition where so much of the emphasis was on where you go when you die. Uh, we seem to almost neglect the here and now. There's a hymn we used to sing. It was called, I'll fly away. I'll fly away, oh Lordy. And there's a sense that we just need to get out of here. Fly me away to the good place. This place stinks. This place is hopeless. Get me to the pearly gates. Uh, there were churches in my tradition who would put on these haunted houses around Halloween. Maybe you know about this. But they always had a twist. Uh, there were these scary scenes. Where there were these people like partying. And then someone would get into a wreck. And then at the end, there would be a moment to try to get people to become a Christian. So they would get to heaven. The author Shane Claiborne uh, said it well in an interview one time. Uh, there are some Christians who set their minds on heaven so much that their faith is so heavenly minded that it's no earthly good. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, we see that heaven isn't just a place to go when you die. He tells them to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. There's a need and desire to not wait for everything to work out one day in heaven, but for heaven to come here and now. And this is what salvation is. Like we talked about last week, it's a release and a forgiveness that takes place now. The availability to be transformed to a person of peace and love and joy. It's not for the future, it's now. The need to bring shalom and justice to a broken world is needed now. So we see this picture of Jesus longing to free captives, to bring good news to the poor in this world, in this reality. But that's not all. On the other side of the spectrum uh, would be what we could call eternity-focused. Eternity-focused. As we sat in this boutique bookstore, Barnes & Noble, and my friend was sharing about the need to forget about heaven, I noticed that there was a girl sitting there quietly and not saying anything. And I actually knew why she wasn't saying anything. So finally, I, I said, hey, would you mind sharing your thoughts with us? What are you thinking right now? And she softly spoke up and she shared that her mom had recently been diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer. And all she could do was think about what happens when you die. And that's the thing, right? It's easy to only focus on the present and the here and now until someone you love It's a surprise diagnosis. Or you find yourself sitting in a hospital waiting room. Uh, Just last month, a friend of ours, uh, she used to serve with us at our church in Chicago. Uh, She lost her battle with a rare brain tumor, and she passed away at 44 years old. 
And she, she's leaving a husband and two kids in Denver. It's in these moments you can't help but think about eternity. What is next? That's not normally how we think about things in the Western culture. We worship youth. Most of our culture, we're trying to look younger. I, I've been going to the gym lately, and we're all trying to rediscover a lost six-pack, which in my case is useless because I never had it. Uh, we try and hide our wrinkles with treatments and surgery. Uh, question, how much would you pay to look younger? Uh, I looked up this week, one of the most expensive anti-aging serums cost, get this, $1,800 per ounce, per ounce. We do so many things to try and avoid this uncomfortable reality that our bodies are finite, they're temporary, and they're quickly vanishing away. But in the ancient world, this reality was much more obvious. Life expectancy was significantly shorter. Uh, there was uh, less availability of medicines and hospitals and surgeries Epidemics and sicknesses were much more common and catastrophic. So they live with this understanding that, yes, we are alive in the here and now, but not for long. And this man next to Jesus on the cross, he obviously understood this reality. He has only moments more to live on this earth, and he sees something deeper. He sees another kind of kingdom. And he realizes he's about to breathe his last breath. So he says, remember me in the next life. So paradise, like so many principles of Jesus, is a paradox. Salvation is a paradox. It begins now. We can live into his kingdom of freedom and justice and be transformed right now. But it's also for eternity, fully realized in the age to come. The, the phrase often used for this paradox is now and not yet. <laughs> now and not yet. The kingdom is here and now and not yet. We don't have to wait to fly away one day to experience it, but we can still hope and long for when we enter his presence fully. It's not either or, it's both and. Now this paradox can be tricky, but I think it's because we're focusing on the wrong word. So when we hear this parting word, words of Jesus, today you will be with me in paradise, we usually focus on the word paradise. What does paradise mean? What is it going to be like? Uh, for some of us, paradise is an eternity of golfing. Others of us, eternity of golfing actually sounds like hell. <laughs> is paradise like a beach where an angel brings you drinks and you read an eternity's worth of romantic novels. Does paradise mean a lot of worship music, a big party, living in a mansion? These are all great questions, but I think they miss the point. When Jesus turns to the man beside him, what does he say before mentioning paradise? He says, today, you will be with me. This is where the focus belongs, with me. To be in paradise is to be with Jesus. To be in paradise is to be with Jesus. Back to Dallas Willard. Nobody's probably influenced my faith journey more than him the past 15 years. And the primary focus of all of his writing was about the ability to live in what he called the with God 
life. And it changed me completely because many years ago I thought to myself, there, there has to be more to this whole thing than just becoming a Christian, attending a ch- church, occasionally reading the Bible or praying. I longed for more. Another mentee of Willard's writes about this longing. He says, human beings have always longed for the story of peace, of shalom, to be realized. We yearn for that enduring, holistic condition, universal flourishing, to dwell in a state of security, provision, freedom, love, and justice. This is why an insatiable yearning for a heavenly state of bliss has remained a part of nearly every culture throughout human history. It's part of the image of God carried within every human soul. Isn't this what you long for? I definitely do. It sounds like paradise, but what if it's actually possible? What if we can learn to live so fully with God and His Spirit that we don't have to wait until we die to experience this inner reality? Imagine in a world of stress and busyness and self-centeredness and distraction if we had an internal reality of peace and shalom and flourishing. Regardless of our external reality, we could take paradise with us wherever we went. This is the vision. This is the kingdom of Jesus that's available here and now. Paradise. To be in paradise is to be with Jesus. And then one day, as we learn to live each moment intimately with Jesus, trusting Him with all things, when our time finally does come, it will almost be a seamless transition because whatever eternity holds, whatever it looks like, we know we will be with Jesus. And we're about to take communion, but before we do, I just want to give a quick word. We are not the kind of church that has many altar calls, and even though I'm often a sweaty preacher, I'm not the kind of sweaty preacher that has people raise their hands and count them. Uh, But the reality is in a room this size, almost always there is someone who is feeling some kind of stirring inside. Maybe you are wondering what it means to take a first step to become a disciple of Jesus. Uh, I just want to let you know, at the end of the service, uh, I'm just going to be sitting down here at the front of the stage, and I'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, If if you're just wondering, is, is this the time? I don't know. How do I take a next step to following Jesus for the first time? Uh, come and talk to me afterwards. I'd love to do that. Now, uh, across our room, we have communion stations, and we're going to take this moment, and I think it's just a beautiful uh, reversal of what we just read. The man says to Jesus, remember me. And we get this opportunity every week to do the flip of that, where we remember Jesus. We remember what he has done for us. Like we talked about today, part of what communion is is a reminder that Jesus is embodied in our everyday life. It's not just one day, but we carry Jesus wherever we go. So on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus sat with his disciples, and they were eating this dinner together, and he took the bread and he broke it. He said, This bread is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat this, uh, eat it in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup of wine 
and he poured it and he said, this cup is the cup of my new covenant. Whenever you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray together and then we'll take the Lord's Supper. Jesus, in these moments, I pray that you would make yourself evident. For many of us in this room, we have read a lot about you over the years. We've been to church a lot over the years, and sometimes we can lose this sight that you are actually real, that you are actually present, that your kingdom is available, that you still speak and move. So I pray for all of us as we take these moments of remembrance, would you let your Holy Spirit just give us a new kind of nudge? Would you help us believe again that there is such thing as divine action? So I pray that you would meet us in these moments. It's in Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Amen.